Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I preached the following message on July 2nd, 2017, as part of my ongoing sermon series in 1 Peter. And like so much of 1 Peter, today's scripture has to do with suffering, unjust suffering, how we endure it. And although, unlike in Peter's context, we American Christians don't often suffer because of our faith. I think it's the fear of suffering that prevents us from being the kind of witnesses that our Lord wants us to be. So I talk about that. And I also talk about what it means when Peter says that we are to be mindful of God and being mindful of God will help us uh, to endure suffering that comes our way. I hope you enjoy it. And now I'm going to read today's scripture, which comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Before I begin, let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, You have challenging words for us from today's scripture. They're difficult because, well, if we're honest, none of us wants or welcomes suffering in our lives. And yet you tell us in your word that this is or should be the expectation for us followers of Jesus. Help us to hear the good news. Help us to hear your word as I offer my often weak, fallible, imperfect words. Speak your word into the hearts of all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you know my friend Tracy Fleming. He is the owner op- and owner-operator of the Chick-fil-A in Lovejoy. He's a friend of our church. He's spoken at at least a couple of men's club meetings that we've had. Tracy is an inspiration to me. Multiple times each year for the past many years, he has spent his, his own money to go to China and help train and equip 
Christians in the many underground churches there in China. He knows this is a risky venture. He's had close calls with the government, with Chinese spies who monitor his work there. And since China, unlike our country, is not governed by the rule of law, he doesn't know if he's going to do or say something that will cross some arbitrary line and cause him to, well, never come home. That's the risk he takes. Tracy told me one time about a conversation that he had with a a Chinese pastor there who described the intense persecution that Christians in at least some provinces in China are experiencing. And Tracy meant well, and he, he said in a perfectly innocent way to this pastor, I'll be praying that the Lord will will put an end to persecution and suffering for you and your fellow Christians. And this this pastor looked at Tracy with a flash of anger and said, what makes you think that God wants to put an end to the persecution and suffering? God is using this persecution and suffering to advance God's kingdom in China. Tracy said he felt very humbled. <laughs> but, but is that true? It, are, are these words of this Chinese pastor true? That, that God wants these Christians to suffer because God is using their suffering and their persecution to advance his kingdom. When we read Peter's words in today's scripture, it's, it's hard to disagree with what this pastor said. Our scripture begins, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. Now, I've said this before. In the New Testament, when you hear about servants, make no mistake, that word can also be translated slaves. Um, I've spoken before about how slavery was different in the first century. It might be more akin to what we would describe as indentured servitude. It wasn't lifelong. It was usually voluntary. Someone sold himself or herself into slavery to pay off debts that he or she owed. I'm not making light of it. And there is a strong trajectory in Scripture against slavery. Read Paul's letter to Philemon. If if Philemon, is who, who owns a slave named Onesimus, if he is going to obey Paul's words, and Paul makes clear that he wants him to, then he can no longer have Onesimus as a slave. Um, so it's... It's different, but it's still evil. Um, Slaves had no rights. They could be badly mistreated by their masters, and and no one could do anything about it. In fact, Peter is, is writing during a time of great Christian persecution. Pagans were already distrustful of 
Christianity. They already were afraid of Christians. And if pagan masters find out that their slaves have converted to this strange new religion, well, it could mean great persecution and suffering for these Christians. Peter knows this. And if suffering and persecution come, what are these Christians supposed to do? Peter says that they are supposed to endure it. Not out of cowardice or fear, but for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also suffered unjustly in order to save the lost. God loves even these pagan slaveholders that he also wants to save them. And if he can use their Christian slaves to do that, he will. Well, you might say, well, we're not slaves anymore. None of us is a slave or an indentured servant today. What on earth could this passage have to do with us? And my answer, everything. It has everything to do with us. Well, why do I say that? Well, notice in verse 18, Peter begins by addressing Christians who are in a particular situation. Servants, slaves, do these things. But then in the very next verse, listen to what he says. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He says, when one endures. That means anyone, not just servants. So he's giving a general principle here that applies to all Christians everywhere for all time. Not only that, he goes on to say in verse 21, these difficult words to this you have been called. And what does he mean by this? He means unjust suffering. We Christians have been called to unjust suffering. All of us Christians, Peter says, should expect to suffer unjustly in our lives. Why? Ultimately, because God wants us to. He has called us to suffer. It's part of His plan for us. He's using it for His glory and His purposes. See, we often think that when suffering comes our way, it disrupts our lives. The Bible says, by contrast, that it's an important and necessary part of our lives. We believe that suffering intrudes on our happiness. The Bible says, by contrast, that there's a resilient kind of happiness and joy that we can experience even in the face of suffering. We often think without saying it out loud that the closer we, we grow in our, in, in our faith to Jesus, the less will suffer. The Bible, by contrast, shows one example after another of saints whose lives only become more difficult the more faithful they are to God and His Word. Peter's own experience bears this out. In, in Acts chapter 5, for instance, this is shortly after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And Peter and the other apostles have been proclaiming the gospel all throughout Jerusalem. And they've gotten in trouble 
The Jewish ruling council has arrested them and warned them, stop talking about this so-called Messiah, Jesus. Stop it. Cut it out. Stop saying that this man whom we worked to make sure was killed is actually still alive. Stop saying that. These are dangerous words. The Romans aren't going to like this. And what does Peter say? Judge for yourself. We have to obey God rather than men, as I'm sure you would agree. After some deliberations, the council releases them after they beat them. And then Luke adds these interesting words. Then the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Worthy to suffer dishonor. Plenty of other Christians might have been unworthy to suffer. But these disciples, because of their faithfulness, were considered worthy to suffer. It implies that the more faithful they were, the more they were to suffer. Also, remember this. Peter is living with a, with a death sentence over his head. Remember John 21, after the resurrection, having a, a, fish, for, a fish grill with, uh, with Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus talks to Peter, and Jesus predicts how Peter is going to die, and he implies to Peter that Peter is going to be crucified, just like Jesus was. Well, Peter saw how Jesus died this agonizing shameful, painful death on the cross. And Peter now knows that one day that's going to be him. I mean, how would you feel? He doesn't know when it's going to happen either. How would any of us feel in that situation to have that hanging over our heads? It could potentially paralyze us in fear. Yet Peter has found something that helps him not only to cope but that helps him to live life with a with a, a kind of joy, even in the midst of great suffering. I want that in my life. I need that in my life. Don't you? Now, one of the reasons that we rightly celebrate the 4th of July this week is because our nation was founded in part on the principle of religious freedom. That's a great thing. It enables us to gather here each Sunday without interference from our government. We also have the freedom to say what we want. Unlike Peter, no one is going to arrest us and beat us for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the most part, we don't experience persecution in this country, certainly not officially, And I wouldn't dare compare the persecution that comes our way to the persecution of Christians all around the world, including uh, places like China, like I mentioned earlier. And yet, when we are faithfully following the Lord, even in a land which guarantees religious freedom, we can expect to encounter resistance in the form of ostracism or ridicule, I saw this 15 years ago when I was an engineer. I worked, uh, my job was um, 
I spent about half my time on the road traveling from one Coca-Cola plant to another. Um, I helped to engineer these machines that put cans in cartons, 12-pack cartons. I did, mo I did the software programming and some other things, and I would also troubleshoot these machines when no one could figure out what was wrong with them. And I worked often alongside mechanics who traveled with me. And um, there was one mechanic, his name was Clay, and he was an outstanding witness for Christ. First, he witnessed through his lifestyle, um, which meant he didn't cuss like the rest of the group. He didn't go to the hotel bar every night like the rest of the group. He didn't cheat on his wife like others in the group. He didn't put other people down like others in the group. He didn't gossip like others in the group. And Clay witnessed through his words. People knew why Clay was different. People knew that Jesus Christ had made a difference in Clay's life. And Clay was an object of ridicule and scorn among some of his fellow mechanics. I heard their derision firsthand. Some of these guys hated Clay. And it was completely unfair, completely undeserved. And if Clay was aware of it, he didn't let it show. He didn't let it bother him. He didn't get angry. He didn't fight back. I loved Clay. He was a pleasure to work with. And I told Lisa about him 15 years ago before pastoral ministry was even in my mind. I told her what a powerful witness he was for Christ. The truth is, I wasn't bold enough to be a witness like Clay. I mean, I hope I would be now. But, but I knew what these guys were saying about him, and I didn't want them to say that about me. I wanted to have a good reputation with them. I wanted them to think of me in a positive kind of way. I wanted to blend in. I didn't want to stick out. I wanted to, to go along to get along. And I guarantee you that many of you are in the same boat you're afraid to witness, not because the government's going to arrest you and torture you for believing in Christ as governments do all around the world, not because witnessing will harm your career, your livelihood as it does for Christians around the world, but because someone, but because someone might say an unkind word about you or because someone might think you're weird. <laughs> Or because someone might judge you for it. Or because someone might think less of you. Too many of us are afraid of suffering even a little because of our faith. And so we don't do what Clay and so many other faithful witnesses do every day. I mean, here we are on the 4th of July weekend celebrating, celebrating freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And yet too often we don't take advantage of our freedoms to be a witness for Christ. We, we are a church 
who desperately needs not simply to plant flags out front because we want to show our community how much we love our nation, which is good because we do, but even more, we are a church who needs to plant a flag for Jesus Christ in Hampton, Georgia, so we can show our community how much we love them. We love them too much not to share with them this gospel of Christ. We love them too much not to let them know that their sins can be forgiven through Christ. We love them too much not to let them know that through Christ's death and resurrection, we have victory over sin and Satan and death and hell. We love them too much to keep this good news a secret. And yet too many of us are keeping it a secret Because we're afraid to suffer for our faith, even a minuscule amount. We're not even being good Americans. (laughs) Because we're not using the freedoms that so many men have fought and died to secure for us over these past 241 years. So as we celebrate our freedoms, let's actually put those freedoms to the test And share with others the life-changing, soul-saving good news of God's Son, Jesus, regardless of the consequences. By the way, four years ago, not long after I got here, I was standing in the greeting line after the 11 o'clock service, and who should appear in front of me but Clay my old co-worker, my friend, my brother in Christ. His name is Clay Meeks. Some of you know him. He lives in Hampton, Georgia. I didn't even know where Hampton was 15 years ago when I was working with him. But he lives right here. He goes to a, a nearby Baptist church. And I don't mind if you tell him that I was talking about him. But he heard I was here and he wanted to come by and see me. Lord, make us, make us at Hampton Methodist faithful in witnessing like our brother, Clay. But whether we suffer unjustly because of our faith in Christ, we will suffer unjustly in this life. You you know that, right? That's not a big secret. And in my experience, our suffering will get worse the more faithful we strive to be to Jesus. This is because of what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The interesting thing about Paul's words here is that Paul was a man who struggled constantly against flesh and blood. Read the book of Acts. Every time he came into a city, he inadvertently stirred up trouble such that there were so many people who wanted to have Paul arrested, stoned, killed. Paul met opposition at every turn, it seemed like. He was always wrestling against flesh and blood. And yet... Paul could say that he wasn't really wrestling against flesh and blood people. The war was much larger, much deeper, much more difficult than that. Paul understood that he was actually at war with Satan and with Satan's army, 
of demons. Paul understood that he was fighting in a spiritual war. And Paul tells us there in Ephesians 6 that we are too. Even if we're fighting with people, there are spiritual powers working behind that fight. And they're working through the fight to make shipwreck of our faith, to make us depressed, to make us discouraged, to make us bitter, to sow seeds of discord and division, to fill us with resentment, to fill us with anger. Do any of you know that kind of anger I'm talking about when someone hurts you unjustly? Well, of course you do. If you're married, you do. If you have kids, you do. If you are a kid who has parents, you do. If you have a boss, you do. If you work for a boss, you do. If you have a job, you do. If you're an active member of a church, you do. Anger is the kind of sin, that's right, I said sin, that all of us agree is sinful, except in this one particular case. (laughs) We justify our anger so easily. I have a right to be angry. This person genuinely hurt me. They did wrong. And so I'm angry and my anger is okay in this instance. I have a right to be angry because these circumstances seemingly conspired against me and derailed me from my dreams. So my anger is justified. I passed a billboard last week on um, 1941. I was headed to a meeting in Atlanta. And the billboard said in large letters... Have you been hurt? (laughs) Call the law offices of so-and-so. He'll bring you relief. And I almost wanted to grab my iPhone and call that lawyer and say, I have been hurt a lot. (laughs) And I get hurt all the time. And it's unfair. And it's undeserved. And I get angry. And I can't even help myself. I need relief. I need healing. I bet you do too. How do we handle it? We can all agree we want what Peter is talking about, but how do we get it so that we can handle this suffering that comes our way? Peter gives us a clue in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when... Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It's that mindful of God part that is the key to understanding what Peter is talking about. What does it mean? What is it about God that we need to be mindful of? How is it that being mindful of God helps us as we face suffering in our lives? First... When we're mindful of God, we're mindful of the fact, as I've said earlier, or described earlier at least, we're mindful of the fact that God is sovereign. This is not a word that I use very often, but it is a word that means that God is ultimately in control of everything that happens. 
Nothing is happening to you right now that isn't a part of God's plan for you. God is using your suffering for His purposes, for His glory, for your good. In other words, God has good reasons for letting you go through whatever you're going through, whether you know what those reasons are or not. And most of the time, you probably won't. But Peter tells us back in chapter 1, That when Christ comes again, it will be made clear. And when it is, we will praise and glorify God for whatever we faced. Second, we are mindful. When, When we're mindful of God, we are mindful that when we endure suffering the way Jesus did, God will reward us. This is implied in verse 19, which says, literally, that our faithful endurance brings God's favor. This is another name for a reward, which, if we don't receive it in this life, will be given to us in heaven. Is the thought of a a heavenly reward enough of an incentive to motivate us to endure suffering with faith, hope, and love, rather than with anger, bitterness, vengeance, Third, I think I've numbered these wrong, but uh, the third point is that when we're mindful of God, um, we can endure suffering the way Jesus did because, guess what? It pleases God to do so. That's what it means in verse 20 when it says that our faithful endurance is a gracious thing in the sight of God. One commentator said that it's as if we make God smile. Don't we want to make God smile? Fourth, God knows. God knows that we've been hurt. Genuinely, we've been hurt unjustly. Just because God permits it and uses it for our good and His glory doesn't mean that God is okay with the sin and the evil that caused the hurt. God is not okay with the wrong that has been done. God is perfectly committed to justice. God sees every injustice that happens to us. God sees everything that's caused suffering in our lives. Every time we've been mistreated, God sees it. Every time we've been abused, God sees it. Every time we've been sinned against, God sees it. And God will ensure that these sins against us are punished, either on the cross of His Son, Jesus, or in hell. For those people who've never uh, received or refused God's offer of salvation and are still under God's wrath, no one escapes God's justice in the long run. And everything, everything we've suffered in this world will be more than compensated in the world to come. This is the message of Scripture from beginning to end. It is God's promise to us. If only we can believe it. We rightly celebrate today those words that Thomas Jefferson wrote in our Declaration of Independence. He wrote them with the help of John Locke. We hold these truths to be self-evident, 
that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are blessed by God to live in a nation that ensures that we have these rights under the law. As Christians, however, let's not confuse our rights under the law with our standing before God. Before God, we have no rights. We only have privileges that are paid for by the precious blood of His Son, Jesus. Our lives are not our own. They belong to God alone. And unless we understand this truth, suffering will never make sense to us. We'll we'll never view it as anything other than something harmful. We'll never believe God's Word that suffering can be redemptive. And we'll be angry and bitter. And God wants something better for us than to live our lives with anger and bitterness. So I'm going to close today by asking you to recite with me Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. These words tell us, make clear to us, that our lives are not our own. Let's say these words together. We don't live for ourselves, and we don't die for ourselves. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to God. Thanks for listening. If you're on the south side of Atlanta on Sunday morning, I hope you'll consider joining us for worship at Hampton United Methodist Church, which is in downtown Hampton, Georgia, on West Main Street. We have two services. We have a 9 o'clock acoustic contemporary service and an 11 o'clock traditional. Thanks, and I hope to see you there.